This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, the Wharton School coming up next month on the 14th and 15th of March will be hosting the latest edition of its People Analytics Conference. It's going to include discussions on a wide range of topics under the umbrella of the fast-growing area of people analytics. Matthew Bidwell is a professor of management here at the Wharton School and will be part of that conference. By the way, we should note that there are tickets still available if you would want to take part. You can just search Wharton People Analytics Conference 2024 and you'll be able to find out more information. Matthew joins us right now. Matthew, great to talk to you again. How are you, sir? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Thank you. Great to have you with us. Let's start with the conference itself and take us through what will be discussed and obviously the importance of something like this, especially right now with all that is going on. Great. Yep. So we're holding our People Analytics Conference um, on March 14th, 15th. So this is, I believe this is our 11th time holding it. So we love holding this. It happens every year. It's basically an opportunity to bring together a whole bunch of practitioners to kind of explore what are some of the topics that we think are most important in the world of kind of HR, but particularly analytics around HR at the moment. So we've got a wide variety of things, like you say, kind of in the kind of what's really important now um, realm. Obviously, AI is one of the things that we'll be discussing. I know it's been kind of on on everybody's minds with um, how work is changing. One of the things we want to explore is really not just kind of, you know, is it people or AI, but how people work with AI. And so what kind of bringing in AI is going to mean both the kind of how we have to develop skills for people to work with the AI, but also how we can actually use those people to make AI better. So that's kind of the first theme that we're going to be talking about. But there, there are many more. So, so let me know what, what would you like to talk about on the program? Well, before we dig into that, I guess I, I find it interesting that, and look, this has been going on for a while now, but it's kind of the continuing narrative of how technology and how our culture or society are kind of intertwining uh, even more so on a daily basis right now on, on almost anything we touch right now. Absolutely. I mean, we're we're a technological society. I mean, and I think you know, even when you when you talk about people analytics, that that has its basis in technology, right? I mean, it used to be that the way we managed people was our instinct, a sense of tradition. This is how I was managed. The whole idea of people analytics is instead starting with, well, what does the data show us actually works? And so I yeah. think as kind of technologies improve. AI, all of it, is in a sense this capacity to take the huge amounts of data that we have around us and use them to make better decisions. Um, and so, yes, that I think that's only going to continue to grow. Is the narrative that we heard out there for a while about AI being a tool to replace people, has that kind of gone away a little bit? Because it seems like more and more the conversation is exactly what you were talking about before, is how AI can kind of enhance people in the workplace? I think so. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be hugely varied. So if you think, for example, you know, there are a few occupations that have really changed. I think graphic designers have had a really tough time um, since the development of some of these models because it has made it very easy for people to kind of just put their prompts into 
some of these engines have come up with very attractive looking designs. So there probably are now and there are probably going to be a few occupations where really demand plummets because you can be substituted. But yes, in most cases, it's much more a question of how does AI help me to do this better? Um, so it'll be a tool. And that's really, I think, been the story of technological change so far down the ages that in most cases, jobs don't go away. They just change as certain things get absorbed by the technology. And we take on new roles really around managing that technology and using it to help us do the work. One of the other areas I know you and I have talked about, uh, and, and you're going to be bringing it up during the conference as well, uh, is where we stand kind of with hybrid and remote work right now. Yeah. I mean, topic of ongoing fascination. Um, and I think I, just the, the changing nature of kind of our relationship to the to work. Actually, on that on that subject, one thing we're kind of very interested and excited to have is kind of a, a discussion about the four-day work week. Um, because this is something, you know, as we think about where we work, also these kind of questions of when we work and how we create that flexibility around us and become more and more live. Um, over the last year or so, I think there have been some really interesting studies of the four-day work week. And I have to admit, I, I started out as a deep skeptic of the four-day work week. Um, yeah. I've now moved myself into the not sure category because I think some of these some of these studies have been really interesting about how companies have found that it, it created clear benefits and managed to avoid many of the costs. So I think you know there's a much broader array of questions bubbling up now. I think spurred by COVID, and spurred by remote work and those sorts of things about, you know, these boundaries between our work and our lives that, yeah, we're really excited to be um, looking at. I would imagine, and this is my own personal experience, but just the fact that because of COVID, the traditional nine to five or eight to four workday has changed for many people. Maybe it's, you know, more, uh, you know, broken up over the course of a 12 hour day than ever before. Uh, that the discussion around remote work and the benefits uh, and obviously things like uh, the productivity level of people that work remotely, uh, these are all areas that become, you know, continuing elements of that idea of where we are in terms of what a work week or workforce is going to look like in the future. I think so. I think absolutely. And I think the other thing that kind of contributes to this discussion a lot is, kind of the growing salience of topics like burnout and mental health in the workplace. You know, it's, and that's been a, a really new one. I think if you go back five, six years, you know, mental health was something that psychiatrists talked about, but managers didn't care about. And now yeah. when you talk to managers more and more, I mean, I think for various reasons, I think COVID certainly didn't help. More and more the kind of mental the burden of mental health is falling on organizations as they realize if their people are in distress, it doesn't do much for their effectiveness. And so I think part of what you're seeing is this kind of, you know, growth of, of new ways of working and new technology. And I think also kind of increasing recognition of the need to get some of these boundaries right if we're going to be effective as organizations. So I think it's really exciting to see some of these new approaches and new tools for kind of fundamentally rethinking that balance between our personal lives and, and what we do at work. One of the other areas that uh, I understand you'll be talking about is uh, involves frontline workers and trying to make the workspace as humane as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think, again, kind of when you look at HR and people analytics, I think 
for too long, much of the discussion has been around kind of professional managerial workers. And obviously, they're hugely important. Um, and organizations have invested a huge amount in really understanding how do we how do we keep them engaged? What are they looking for? How do we make them effective? Sometimes frontline workforce has been a bit of an afterthought. And, I, you know, I think that partly reflects the labor market. You know, for a lot of the last decade, there was a sense it was very easy to hire frontline workers. You know, there were a queue of them lining up out, outside the door. So maybe you didn't need to worry about them so much. Um, that's something that, again, has changed dramatically over the last three to four years. And you saw kind of the height of 2021, 2022. Yeah, a lot of organizations wonder if they could just open their doors, like if they could stay open if yeah. or if they were going to find enough people to be able to come um, come staff their workplace. Um, and so I think there is a renewed interest in understanding, okay, these people are really important. Maybe we should put the same amount of rigor and thought into understanding how we create an effective work environment for them that we do for some of our higher paid um, employees. And that's something that we're, we're really passionate about because these jobs are so important, these people are so important, and, and getting it right for organizations matters, but getting it right for the lives of the people in these roles as well is just so critical. Well, and I find it interesting, Matthew, about the fact that, you know, over the last four years or so, obviously because of the impact of the pandemic and a lot of the things that, that you mentioned, uh, we saw, you know, within the last several months kind of the uh, uprising in and around uh, the union uh, space. Uh, unions obviously seeming to have more of a voice than maybe they've had uh, in the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, and it feels like in general that the worker has more of a say in what is going on within a, a company and how it is being done. Uh, and maybe that's also coming from the public at large as well. I think so. I mean, I... <laughs> Sadly, I think it's mainly the wonder of tight labor markets. Um, right. uh, when employees know they can't easily be replaced and when the employer knows that, yeah, people pay a little more attention to those employees. It's been, it's been very interesting seeing the kind of upswell of unionizing activities. I'm, um, I guess I would class myself as a pro-union pessimist. Um, you know, I think those unions do a good and important job in the workplace. I think the kind of the structure of employment law makes it very difficult to kind of mount sustained organizing campaigns that, that really make a dent. But I think just the presence of those campaigns is, again, concentrating minds inside the organizations in ways that I think will end up being helpful for a lot of companies. I think a lot of companies put so much emphasis on kind of operational efficiency that they don't necessarily think hard enough about what are we doing for our employees and end up paying large costs down the line in terms of high levels of attrition, difficulties in recruiting as well. So I think there are win-wins. We're kind of thinking more clearly about, you know, like you say, are we creating humane workplaces? It's going to be very good for the employees, but I do think it will actually in the long run help employers in ways that kind of a current focus on operational efficiency sometimes kind of clouds. Great lineup of speakers that'll be there, including our friend Adam Grant, Danny Meyer, who's the founder and executive chairman of Union uh, Square Hospitality, uh, Missy Cummings, who's uh, the director of uh, Mason uh, Autonomy and Robotics Center, our friend Lindsey Cameron from uh, at the Wharton School, and, and others. What do you think that, that for people that will come to the conference that hopefully they will take away? That's a great question. Um, 
I think, I really hope that they will take away, I mean, partly just kind of a lot of information about some of these topics. You highlighted some of our star speakers, you know, how is Danny Myers, how has he thought about the way to get the best out of his frontline workforce and create a good workspace for them? What kind of, what is he thinking about in terms of the next steps? We're very excited. We have the head of people analytics from Walmart as well. Has done, they've done an enormous amount of thinking about these topics, talking about um, their approaches as well and how they've addressed some of these issues. Um, I think Lindsay's work, looking at how people respond to algorithms, you know, creates a lot of ideas about how we're managing people, how are they reacting to that, what are some different approaches we can take in the future. So I think across the speakers you mentioned, others, we have Juliet Shaw coming in for the four-day, speak about the four-day work week. I'm extremely excited about across all of these speakers, I think kind of a sense of what's coming. What are some of the things that maybe are not currently present in our workforce but we should think about another, sorry, as I, as I think about kind of the speakers, we have a, a panel on neurodiversity and kind of thinking, how can we do a better job of including different people in our workplace? and yeah. making sure it works for them in ways that, again, creates value. So I hope it will spark new ideas for people about things they could be doing, about approaches that they could be taking, as well as kind of just all the, obviously, the networking opportunities that we're creating, just, just to speak to people in the same area and share ideas with them as well. Matthew, great to talk with you again. Thanks very much. Thank you. You got it. Matthew Bedwell, a management professor here at the Wharton School in To explore more content from the Wharton School, visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.